Hi, Harris. Let's say a blessing. Yeah, they've gone around that way. Okay. I had mine before. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvotav V'tzivanu La'asok B'divrei Torah La'asok B'divrei Torah To engage in the words of Torah Which is exactly what we're doing It's a mitzvah I like that Um This week's portion is Vayishlach, uh, which means he sent forth. Um, the part we're going to read, start with, is on uh, page 223. <laughs> So, I have been taking advantage of this wonderful group to focus on the female characters in uh, the Torah the last several weeks. And I want to keep doing that. Um, this, I have spent so many years happily immersed in the beginning of this Parsha, which is the part where Jacob spends the night alone and wrestles with an angel and receives the new name of Israel. That's how the Parshan begins. And then goes to meet his brother Esau, who he sure is going to kill him. I'm sure you remember the story. And Esau instead bursts into tears and embraces him. And they look at each other and they say, and uh, Jacob says, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. And my interpretation of that is he's never actually looked his brother in the face before. Probably. Um, and that story is how we got our name, Israel, because that's the, hello, um, how we got our name, Israel, because you have wrestled with God and with humans and have not succumbed, have prevailed. And the reason I usually spend my time on that story is because it's the story of how we got our name. And origin stories like that are absolutely central to our self-understanding. And I want to look at the next chapter, because the next chapter is the one chapter in this portion, that's okay, that um, deals with Jacob's only daughter, Dina. Uh, Dina, it says in the previous Parsha, that Leah had six sons, and then she gave birth to a daughter, Dina, and then she stopped bearing. Now, Rebecca, last week, uh, I mean, um, Leah last week, and Rebecca the week before, are, um, as I s- described them, protagonists in their story. They're engaged, they speak, they drive the action. Dina is a, is a different case. Dina never says anything. She's never referred to particularly as a 
she's she, it's a something different going on with Dina. We can imagine Dina's uh, Dina as a full person, but we get no hints in the text as opposed to uh, the previous characters that I described. You follow what I'm saying? Um, it's conceivable, therefore, that Dina in particular is a symbolic character even more than others. Uh, Mary Douglas, um, in her treatment of uh, the Bible, of the Torah, uh, reads, because of her reading of um, uh, how the prophets refer to Israel as frequently, as God's young bride, as a harlot, if they go after other gods, mm -hmm. as unfaithful. So the language of faithfulness in marriage is used a lot in the Bible. And her, her, she posits that some of the stories about women, and I'm not saying necessarily about Dina, uh, but maybe that's an interesting thesis. Um, uh, some of the stories about women in the Torah are symbolic in that they are stories about Israel's faithlessness. Um, and it's a very compelling thesis. Uh, so why I think that, why, why those thoughts occur to me when we talk about Dina is because we know nothing about her. The part she plays is by being raped and then desired by the uh, neighboring uh, chief. And her name, her name means judgment or justice, more judgment, not justice. Dean means law or justice. Dina is law or justice. Um, a big Dean is a court of law, right? So her name has something to do with justice. And she's, mind you, after six sons, along comes Dina, the seventh. And we've talked a lot about sevens. So I feel something there. And uh, the other thing I wanted to point out is that Jacob has 12 sons, become the 12 tribes of Israel, and Dina is the 13th, right? The sort of the, what is that? The, so all of it says to me, there may be some deeper symbolic telling going on here that we may not, that we may be able to uh, approximate or that we may not. But, it's, but the reason I'm starting that way is that, in my opinion, this isn't just about a person named Dina. Uh, there's there's this larger themes coursing through this one. Yes? So, you know, I'm reading that book that I had given you, and I, I'm on the part, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Philo or Philo? Philo. Philo. So Philo is interpreting a, a piece of, of the Torah, and... He talks about the number six and how the number six is very important because number six is a perfect number, so it's all the factors add up of mm -hmm. six to six. 
and God created the earth in six days, mm -hmm. and then there were six suns, and that six is, I mean, I don't know where I'm going with this, but he talked about the number six as being a very important number. Well, that's interesting. Philo is a first century Jewish philosopher and thinker who lived in Alexandria in Greece and wrote and spoke in Greek. Um, and uh, his writings were preserved in Greek. They were never part of the rabbinic tradition. And when they were rediscovered in the 19th century as modern scholarship started scouring all of these texts, he becomes a very interesting figure in um, what kinds of Judaisms there were in the first century. Because he's Jewish, he sends his money to the temple in Jerusalem. The Alexandria Synagogue is the biggest synagogue in, in the Mediterranean, and there are stories told about it, and all that kind of thing. And yet, he takes a very philosophical and allegorical approach mm -hmm. to um, Torah, very different from the rabbinic kind of uh, mm, intensive storytelling that, that we're accustomed to. So that's who Philo is. So, so yeah, he, I don't know what else you know. Uh, that's interesting. A six and a seven. Certainly that comes up a lot in the Torah. Is it spelled P-H-I-L-O? Yeah, yeah, P -H. yeah. P-H-I-L-O, Philo. Uh, so with that, just with those prefatory, prefatory comments in mind, let's just read the story. And then I read some really interesting commentaries, and I'll be interested in hearing what your thoughts are. I'm not, I don't want to pre, um, pre, pre prejudice you in a reading. I just wanted to lay out, I, I wanted to expand our minds, but I also want us to pay attention to the story itself. So um, Jacob has just departed from page 223. Jacob has just parted ways with his brother Esau. Esau says, come with me. Let's live together. Because that's the kind of character Esau is. And Jacob says, no, uh, I'll just go my way. You know, Well, let me leave some retainers with you to help you on the way. No, 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 no. The children will slow you all down. You go ahead. And, he, <coughs> and that's, you know, he's, he moves on. And he comes to a place and build shelters, and the word for shelter in Hebrew is Sukkot. And so the place is known as Sukkot, a, uh, a pasturage of some kind for his animals. And then, so I want to start, and then it says in verse 18, on page 223, Thus Jacob, in his journey from Padan Aram, arrived safely in the city of Shechem, in the land of Canaan, and he made camp facing the city. He bought the portion of the field where he had pitched his tent from the sons of Hamor. Now, Hamor means donkey or ass, so he, the, the, yeah, it's not the, not the so yeah, uh, Shechem's father. And so Shechem is both the character and the city. Shechem is in northern, the northern um, Judean, the mountains of Ephraim, or known as Samaria, or now the West Bank, and it's a northern, it's north in the, of, of Jerusalem a good distance, and its Latin name is, and Arabic name is Nablus. Oh. 
Nablus is Shechem, the same place, very ancient city, uh, and a center of Jewish life in the early, you know, early times of the Jewish monarchy. Um, he arrived safely in Shechem, and it says in Hebrew, Vayavo Yaakov Shalem, Ir Shechem, that's verse 18, which is an interesting choice of words. Jacob arrived Shalem, whole, W-H-O-L-E. Some of the word Shalom is from the word whole. Uh, uh, um, safely is the translation here. Uh, and um, uh, it, we won't go in that direction right now, but it's an interesting word. And he bought, he pitched, and then he set up an altar in verse twenty. Called it El Elohe Yisrael. <coughs> Chapter thirty-four. Do you want to say anything, Chris? No, no, no. One day, Dina, Leah's daughter, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the woman of the the land. The woman of the locality. So, Vatetse Dina. Now, the last portion is called Vayetse. Vayetse Yaakov. Jake, that's the name of the last one. So, there's some echo there. Jacob left Beersheba or went out, and Dina went out to visit with the local girls. Uh, Vayarota and Shechem, son of Hamor, the Chivite, the local prince, saw her. He took her and lay her down and raped her. Ya'aneha. Ya'aneha is to oppress. So rape sounds like a good translation. It's some, to do something by force. He took her by force. Um... But then, Tidbak Nafsho, he was then captivated by Jacob's daughter Dina. Tidbak Nafsho, his soul cleaved, was attached. It's a strong language. His, his, yeah, his soul was just so attached to her. Um, uh, and, Ye'ahav et Ana'ara, he loved, he fell in love with the young woman. Vayedaber alev hanara and spoke tenderly to her heart. Okay, so he took her and then he fell in love with her. Vayomer Shem. So Shem said to his father Hamor, "Please get this girl for me, as my wife." At the time that Jacob heard that his daughter Dina had been defiled, his sons were in the field with his livestock. So he kept quiet until they came back. And Shechem's father, Hamor, now went to Jacob to speak with him. And meanwhile, Jacob's sons had returned from the field. When they heard, the men were grieved and became extremely angry, for he had committed an outrage against Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. V'chein lo such things were not done. Hamor now spoke with them, saying, my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her, give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give us your daughters and you yourselves take our daughters. 
Live among us, and the land will be before you. Settle and trade here, and acquire property here. And Shem said to Dina's father and brothers, Let me but find favor in your sight, and I will give you whatever you ask. Exact from me bridal money and gifts to excess, yet I will pay whatever you demand of me. Only give me the girl to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shem and his father Hamor deceptively, Bimirma, speaking thus because he had defiled their sister Dina. They said to them, We cannot do this thing, giving our sister to a man who has a foreskin, for this is a shame to us. Cherpa, shame, shame. Yeah, you know, shame in a very strong way. Only on this condition will we consent to you. If you become like us by having every one of your males circumcised, then we would give you our daughters and would take your daughters and settle among you and become one people. But if you do not listen to us and consent to be circumcised, we shall take our daughter and leave. Their words seemed good to Hamor and Hamor's son Shem, and the youth did not delay doing this thing, for he yearned for Jacob's daughter, and he was preeminent in his father's household. So Hamor and his son Shem went to the gate of their city and spoke to their fellow citizens, saying, These people are peaceably disposed towards us. Shlemimhim. There's that word shalem again. Uh, they will settle in the land and trade here. Plainly, the land is open wide on every side before them. We will take to wife their daughters and give our daughters to them. But only on this condition have these people agreed to settle among us and become one people. Every male among us must be circumcised as they are circumcised. Their livestock and their possessions, all their animals will be ours. Let us consent to them that they may settle among us. All who went out of the city gate listened to Hamor and his son Shem, and every male, every able-bodied man was circumcised. On the third day, when they were in pain, <laughs> the, the two sons of Jacob, Shimon and Levi, Dina's brothers, each took his sword. They went undisturbed into the city and killed every male. And they also killed Hamor and his son Shechem by the sword. Then, taking Dina from Shechem's house, they left. Jacob's other sons went over the slain and plundered the city, whose inhabitants had defiled their sister, taking their sheep, their cattle and their donkeys, and all that was in the city and in the countryside, and all their wealth, their little ones and their wives, and all that was in the houses they seized as captives and as spoil. Jacob then said to Shimon and Levi, You have made trouble for me by making me odious to the land's inhabitants, the Canaanites and the Parasites. Since I am few in number, they will gather themselves against me and strike at me, and I and my household will be destroyed. But they said, Should he then have allowed to treat our sister like a whore? End of story. Does Cecil B. DeMille know this? I'm sure he knew this story. Does it happen Amazing. in the movie? Did I skip it? Amazing. Well, you can see why we don't read this one in synagogue for uh, <laughs> quick inspiration. <laughs> but... Uh, I figured in our Torah study class, especially because I'm just so interested in the, where the female characters fit in the story, I thought we'd look at it today. Wow. Yeah, wow well, is right, huh? Get the female, and Jacob finally becomes Shalem, he finally becomes whole, he finally has this transformation, and he doesn't open his stand now. Right, right. Oh, he's... Where was he? Jacob? 
We have a problem. Jacob has a problem. And really, this is still about Jacob. Yes. Yeah, and Jacob has already moved down from that place before because he says to Esau, Mm -hmm. I will meet you in Seir. And he has no intention. And he doesn't. That's right. So he's already moved back into his deceptiveness. That's right. Oh, I wanted to... worldliness. So, okay, and there's more because I, I had the time to read the, the classic commentaries on uh, Jacob and his behavior here, and they hold him responsible. The traditional commentaries, just like your reaction, it's like, what's with Jacob? Well, that doesn't get missed. They don't heroize him here. They really take him to task. I'm going to fill you in on that. Because I find it very interesting. Yes. So why would he, why would the angel struggle with him and wrestle with him if he was this man who was deceptive? Why give him the name of Israel? That's the the, name of all. That's right. That's right. I'll get. I'm going to share with you what the what the rabbis say about it. Um, why does he merit this name? Come on. Um, he doesn't necessarily. Um, and so. You have to look. I was looking in the dictionary. I meant to bring my dictionary with me, but I remember, I remember enough of this. Um, Yaakov comes from the root ayin kuf bet, which means heel. The heel of your foot, not heel like to not like not h e a l, because he was holding on to his brother's heel as he came out, but. The root ikev also means to delay, and akov means crooked or deceitful. So, Jacob's name is really negative. It means a heel, someone who delays. Delayed right from the very beginning. Right from the beginning. How so? Well, he, he delayed when he left his parents' house. He was supposedly on this journey. He delayed when he left Laban's house. Mm-hmm. He delayed when he built the altar to God. Every promise he made, he then held back and delayed on. It and also means crooked del- or twisted or perverse. Yeah. He was also delayed at birth. Right. Yes. That's right. That's right. That's right. Good. So Good. We're building. Make we're, a promise to God and then delay. Right. We're building what becomes the classic rabbinic. Yeah. He also says at the beginning, after the latter, when God speaks to him, and he says, and God says, I'll make a covenant, you know, and he says, well, I'll be happy to do that if yeah. after all is over, you will have taken good care of me. Right, right. and he doesn't just say, he'll be happy to do it, he says, I vow. Now, a vow in the Torah, like in so many epics that you know, right. has the weight of um, <coughs> your word is um, it's who you are. It's who you are. Yeah. But he doesn't do it. I mean, it's like, if you, then I. It's conditional. There's nothing wholehearted about it. There's nothing wholehearted about it. That's shalem. Um, and also, you can't underestimate the importance in the biblical stories of a vow that goes unfulfilled. Mm. That's what I mean. We might say, oh, he broke his promise. No, no, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's the the structure of the universe is its of your universe is at stake if you don't fulfill your your vow your oath and why 
in, that is one of the reasons why Jews won't swear on a Bible when it comes all the way to us. To, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Judaism ultimately discourages people from taking vows and says, just do it. Do it, but don't make a vow because if you don't fulfill it, you're, you're screwed. So in a courtroom, what would orthodox... Uh, I affirm, I think is what the wording is. Something like that. But because of the... You know, it says, when it says, do not take God's name in vain, al-tisa, shame on the Shabbat, the Ten Commandments, that means they're talking about when you take a vow. Mm-hmm. If you invoke God as your witness and you do not fulfill that vow, you've essentially desecrated God. That's why it's hard for us to understand. You know, that means don't swear, you know, don't, you know, don't curse, but that's not what it means in its context. Uh, it's, it, it, it's much more about, if you invoke me as a witness, don't take that lightly. Um, so, this is great. This is great because this all lines up with the traditional commentary in it. So, um, let's see. In the first promise Jacob makes, uh, when he dreams, the, he dreams the ladder and then wakes up, let's see what he says. Um, so you'll find that on page um, 195. Uh, 195. Thank you. He wakes up from his dream. He says, this place is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Rising early that morning, Jacob took the stone they had put under his head and set it up as a monument. He then poured oil on it. He, what's the, what's the fancy word for that? He anointed it. Yeah. He named the place Bethel, house of God. Originally, the place's name was Luz. Jacob then made this vow. If God is with me and watches over me on this path that I am taking and gives me bread to eat and clothes to wear, And if I return safely to my father's house, then will the Eternal be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a monument shall be a house of God. And of all that you give me, I will dedicate a tenth to you. So that's that's Jacob's vow. It's sort of a bargain. Yeah, that's who he is. That's who Jacob is. So I don't get it yet. Yeah, I mean, it's so different. When Abraham is told, go to this place, leave everything, and I'll show you, but you won't know what it is ahead of time. And he just gets up and he goes. It's a totally different. Yeah, right. That's why different. somehow, I, among many interpretations, because this is where our thoughts go, I think of Dina by the meaning of her name, which is um, judgment. You know, uh, court, judgment like in a court, um, or a law, and, and Jacob's in, Jacob is evading it constantly and pays a steep price for that, something along those lines. I'm not wedded to that, but that's where my mind goes. Did you want to say something, Bruce? Uh, yeah, this is kind of one of the things that gets me about the Torah is how subversive it is. Good word, good it word. Doesn't, it doesn't hide itself from us at all. It kind of begs us to get into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a, it's not a story of some, of some perfect hero by in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's a much more of a drama, yeah. 
Yeah. What is the Hebrew word for vow? Oh, there's a couple. One is neder. The other is uh, sheva, like be'er sheva. The, uh, it's, a, it's an oath. Shavuah is an oath, and neder is a vow. I don't know what, I bet there's a distinction, but I don't know what it is. Um, so, um, so why is he the father of us? Uh, why? Yeah. That is a good question. That is a good question. Um, I mean, and the, the most, the most, well, the most yeah. promising story about it is that he's not, like King David is a flawed hero. Jacob is a flawed hero because he also rises to many occasions. And then he has this, especially when he meets his brother Esau. Um, the, in that story, which is how our, week, our portion this week starts, he, um, it sa- he says, he sa- he's terrified. He says, I'm terrified. Uh, Esau's coming with 400 men. And in that story, he spends the night wrestling alone and will not succumb. And then in the daylight, with the sun shining on him, limps forward to his brother, bowing seven times, and they embrace. And they have this moment of true connection. Reconciliation. Real reconciliation. And then it's over. And he's back to his chronic... That's my problem. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, it's my problem too. Yeah. Yeah. Where do we go? So one of the stories I tell, and we all have our answers to this, is that we are both the children of Jacob and the children of Israel. Israel is the name he acquires when he is able to be his best self. self. I see. And Yisrael has several, because remember, those words have no vowels. Um, Yisrael means to strive with or wrestle with God. That's one of his names. But Yisrael is also Yashar El. Yashar means straight, direct, and upright. Yaakov means crooked and deceitful. So that is his valence, right? His, if we each come in with uh, like soul work to do, that's Jacob's, do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. That's Jacob's soul work is how to uh, overcome this, this part of his nature. That's one of the stories I like to tell about it. Uh, and you do it by the process of continuing to strive and to wrestle. Uh, so, again, I'm telling that story because it pleases me. I don't have the answer by any stretch of the imagination. Gail, you wanted to say something? It's just that for me, the whole setup of Torahs, we're made of the dust of the earth, the breath of God blown through us. This so is so important. The highest and the low, we, we encompass it all. That's what being human is. So Jacob is, is, the, is the exemplar of us. Being Thank human. you. And, and, and that's what I think, too. Right. I, that's what I think. Yeah, and, so, I and so we're both children of Israel, and we're descendants of Jacob. We've got it all. And he stands for us throughout, throughout Oh, so Genesis. Jacob, Israel, Jacob slash Israel for us is the archetypal human. That's right, the archetypal right. human. Because the, the whole story, it begins, that's the setup. 
And, and we are of conflicted nature inevitably because God made us of the, the, the earth, earthiness and blew the spirit of life into us. And because of that, we, we are in a perpetual state of um, f f indecision, flux, struggle, struggle uh, between our, our, um, our base polarity and our elevated vision and our um, appetites and our um, uh, higher self. And, and, and that's right. That's why I think the Torah has legs, is because uh, the characters in it are archetypal human, archetypally human. Yes. And he more than anyone is, is the embodiment of, of that. And, and because it's mythic language, or dream language, he gets into extreme situations. Okay, it's not. I mean, most of us do not, you know, sell our. He doesn't, but you know, sell our brothers into slavery. I mean, we might wish to, but we don't go that. You know, we're jealous, but we don't go that far. So it's all exaggerated. Because the other thing I wanted to say that really struck me. Thank you. That's very nicely put. Is that um, <coughs> God speaks to Jacob? And this was, I think, what Rabbi Jonathan Sachs just wrote saying about this. That he speaks to Jacob again and again when Jacob is fleeing from when he's fleeing when he's closer to being broken is the way I would put what the sound has done. oh how interesting but when he's when, when he's in trouble serious trouble and that's when he's he's and we have the whole tradition that, that when you have the broken heart you're more you know so it's when he's giving up his family and then he's giving up where he'd been for twenty years he's leaving that. And then he's leaving Esau, who he just reconciled with. Mm -hmm. so, and that's when God speaks to him over and over. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and my, my thought about that, beyond what I what my sex work, was that the whole point is that grace is more a Christian term, but grace No, is we offered. can claim grace. It's, it's a very much Jewish term. It, it, they just cornered it, that's okay, all. So it's offered. It's not something we necessarily deserve. It's just there. It's available. And Jacob gets again and again this experience of grace in which he feels God's presence. And, I, and, and, and saying that it happens at times of trouble is saying that uh, there are no atheists in foxholes. You know, it's saying that when we're at our most, that's when we can, that's when our construction of self that protects us most of the time but also isolates us. Uh, has to come down, and we go, hell. And the light comes in. And that's when, yeah, yeah, that's Leonard Cohen's line, right? Uh, what's, what's the quote exactly? One of us must There's have it right now. There's a crack in everything. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. That's, yeah. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Yeah. Harris? Yeah, maybe you can uh, address this. I understand after what happened with her and men, they all risk their lives to kill people. Who, who risked their lives? Jacob's family, they went in and they... The two brothers. Oh, the two brothers, yes. Yes. After the fact. What I don't understand, because it sounds like back then, like the Wild West, is a dangerous place. So why in the world did they not mention anything? Because she's the, she's the little girl. She's the baby. Into the family. She's beautiful because a prince fell in love with her. And there was no protection for her as she traveled away from the family. Ooh, what an interesting thing to point out. 
she went out to hang out with so, the girls so in the at, she, she wasn't at cherished the, because she wasn't protected was she not protected because she was Leah's daughter? Uh, so, thank you, Harris. I never thought of that. And Leah went out to... What? 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 Oh, that's a great point. So she wasn't protected, and her name means the law. The dean, dina. Uh, so, there's, so again, Jacob, Jacob is not on top of his responsibilities as a as the as the patriarch, there, it, I'm following your. It's all, but, that's so interesting. But if you go back to Leah. Leah was part of a whole hoax, with with her father Laban, yep. who who deceived Jacob, right? That's right. Well, the word mirma, which means deceit, which that's uh, the Shimon and Levi were speaking the mirma in deceit, and Shechem thinks, oh boy. Uh, you know, they're really shleimim. They're really like up, you know, yeah. Yeah. whole, whole, uh, and they're and they're speaking b'mirma. And that word b'mirma, I made it. I, I where did I? Oh, I wrote it um, on a piece of paper that's not here. Who says b'mirma? Jacob, in uh, when he's um, going into his father Isaac when he's blind, he speaks b'mirma. So the same word is there. So here's another thing that we see continuously in the story of Jacob, which is that the sins of the parents right. simply get replayed right. uh, amongst the siblings and between and beyond them. Um, so all of that is going on too. Uh, so, okay, so um, I was saying about wrestling, the wrestling... Uh, and then the, the vow he made, there's another vow he makes. Um, let's see, I'll dedicate a tenth to you. And then later, um, oh, is that where I got it? Uh, ah, um, Bruce? <laughs> There was something else that kind of troubled me always about this. 35-1, Jacob didn't know enough to to leave and do what he said he'd do. God now said to Jacob, get up and go to Bethel and settle there and erect an altar there. Okay, that's the the line that gets everybody going. Okay, page 226, back where we were before. The very next thing when Jacob says, You've made me odious amongst the people around here. And her sons say, oh, should we have allowed her to treat our sister like a whore? End of story. God now said to Jacob, get up. Go up to Bethel and settle there. Erect an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the presence of your brother Esau. Um, So what's going on? Jacob has, Jake, one of the meanings of Akev is to delay. Akev is to delay. He has parted from his brother by dissembling, uh, and he has said to his brother, um, I'm back on 222 now. In verse 12, Esau then said, 
Let us start on our way. I will go at your side. But Jacob answered, My Lord knows that the children are delicate and that I have to think about the sheep and cattle that are nursing. If they drive them hard a single day, the small cattle will perish. Let my Lord go on ahead of his servant. As for myself, let me proceed on my way at my own pace, following the footsteps of the livestock in front of me and following the footsteps of the children until I catch up to my Lord near Seir. Esau said, Pray, let me then leave behind with you a portion of the force that accompanies me. But Jacob said, Oh, why should my Lord show me such favor? So that day Esau started back on his way to Seir, while Jacob went on to Sukkot, where he built a house for himself and shelters for his livestock. And that's why the place was called Sukkot. What's going on? He promised he'd come back. When I, when you feel, I'm going to come back here, God, and... and fulfill my offer and give you a tenth of everything I have. He's not anywhere near Bethel. He's built a house for himself. And then he keeps going and he goes to Shechem and he buys some land. Hmm? Oh, right. Everything will remind us of that right now, believe me. Show me a Rorschach blot and I'll see Trump, I know. So anyway, oh. okay, so Jacob, yes, but yes, but uh, your, your point is actually well taken. I didn't, I said what I had to say because it, 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 you liked it. And now I'm saying this. Something that, that I was wondering about. Okay, I'll just, okay. I'll just point out sure. that um, that's not the only delaying he does. He's, then this whole Dina thing happens. And then God says, "New, are you going to build me the altar you promised me when I bring you back safely? Because he said, I'll bring you back safely. And it says, and he came back, shalem, safely, whole. So what would you want to say? Um, I have two thoughts. One is, well, two questions. But one is that, is that a question about the meaning of agreements if there were no vows. Because he doesn't take a vow with Esau. And he doesn't take a vow with Shechem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. And then in both cases, he just ignores what he said. And I just don't know if culturally, you know, what... what one's Wait, he didn't ignore what he, he said to Shechem. He didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. Well, yeah, it's his son. It's his sons who do it all, yeah. But he doesn't seem terribly troubled by it. Morally. He's not on the job, he's like not, Harris was saying. Right, but he's also not morally troubled by what they do. So I, I just don't know whether what in that period it meant to sort of give you a word. Because, you know, I mean, if That would indefinitely enrich our understanding of the story. Yeah, and I, 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 I that's know. a good yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's pretty clear in Torah that if you don't fulfill what you say you're going to do, it's wrong. You know, the vows have a different, stronger. Yeah. What you were talking about earlier, about how Jacob, uh, uh, the interpretation that you were reading, it's, it's actually right in here where, where Jacob says, you know, I'm going to go up to Bethel that, and that I may build an altar there to the God who responds to me in my time of distress, which is exactly what you were saying, that mm-hmm. when he's at his low, that's when God kind of appears. 
Okay, so why don't I read you the whole thing from Breshit Rabbah, from, from uh, 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 no, from the Midrash collection called Tanchuma, that, so this is, say, 1,500 years old or older. Uh, and they say, there are three conditions where a person's ledger, moral ledger, is examined. If one goes on a journey alone, if one sits in a house that is in danger of collapse, and if one vows and does not make whole one's vow. Uh, how do we know about the problem of vowing and not paying? Because it is written in Deuteronomy. I quote, when you make a vow to the Lord, your God, do not put off fulfilling it. That's just from, that's from you know, that's a direct quote. Uh, and others, uh, uh, it is a snare for a man to pledge a sacred gift rashly and to give thought to examine his vows only after they have been made, after they have been made, from Proverbs. <clears throat> If one delays one's paying one's vow, one's ledger is examined and the angels assume a prosecutorial stance and speak of your sins. How do we know? Well, when Jacob went to Aram Naharayim, that means he went back to Laban's house, he, it says in the Torah, and Jacob made a vow. We were just reading that at the latter. He went and became wealthy and returned and settled down and did not pay his vow. Um... He brought the angel, so God brought the angel against him, and he wrestled with him, but did not kill him. As it is said, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. Um, and he, uh, as it is said, he saw that he could not prevail against him, but Jacob was crippled by the encounter. He's limping, if you recall. His hip socket is um, uh, wrenched. Uh, and when he so he so he didn't pay his vow, and they're in, they're they're um, interpreting the wrestle with the angel as he suffered physical harm. Uh, then he still did not pay attention. The trouble with Dina came upon him, because Dina went out, etc., etc. When he did still did not pay attention, it says the trouble with Rachel came upon him, which is, and Rachel died and was buried. We didn't get to that yet. But the next thing that happens before he gets to Bethel, I mean, uh, is that Rachel dies in... Uh, oh, no, 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 no. It's, no, no, Rachel dies in childbirth um, after he leaves Bethel, but the way this Midrash is interpreting it is he also hasn't returned to his father's house. He's avoid. Think about it. He's come back, and years are going by, and he's not visiting Isaac. So they say, well, come on. Um, then God said, how long will this, and this is the words of the Midrash, not the Torah, how long will this righteous man take punishment and not pay attention to the sin for which he is suffering? I must inform him now. And so God said, arise, go to Bethel. These troubles, and again, these are the putting words in God's mouth. These troubles have come upon you only because you delayed fulfilling your vows. If you do not want any more trouble, go to Bethel. Make an altar there in the very place where you vowed to me. In time of distress, you made a vow, and in a time of ease, you let it slip from your mind? But we do this uh, hold on a second. Hold, hold on a second. I just want you, mm -hmm. I, I want to get how vivid this language is. Yeah. And we could be having a conversation with whoever, whatever us preacher was giving this talk in a synagogue in the 4th century 
and thinking about the same issues. That's why your comments were so close to this. That's why I wanted to read it to you. You follow what I'm saying, everybody? Um, uh, so hold on. obviously had read the book of Job, unlike. Oh, they quote Job in here. Unlike oh. the Torah, you know. Oh, that's right. So it's kind of like when things are good, you forget me, and when things mm-hmm. are bad, you, mm-hmm. you ask for some help. When Jacob made his vow, it goes on, and this was in the form of a sermon back in this in that day. It says in the um, it says in the Talmud that there are three cardinal sins, ones the only ones that merit death. One is public idolatry, the other is sexual immorality, and the third is shedding someone else's blood. That's, that's Talmudic, uh, considered to be the cardinal sins. And those are the three sins that happened. Because he delayed fulfilling his vow, he became guilty of all three. Idolatry, where um, uh, rid yourself of all alien gods in your midst, and Rachel, remember, keeps them. Yeah. Uh, immorality, what happens with Dina, and bloodshed. Shimon and Levi killed every male in the city of Shem. This teaches you that delaying the fulfillment of a vow is a graver offense than all three cardinal sins. Again, these midrashim were sermons in uh, um, late antiquity in Israel, and they get collected. And so you can picture one like this, somebody making their point. That's, uh, it is better not to vow at all than to vow and not fulfill says Ecclesiastes. Rabbi Meir said, it is better than both alternatives not to vow at all. Vowing and not fulfilling or vowing and fulfilling. A person should simply bring his lamb to the temple courtyard on Pesach and offer it. Rabbi Yehuda said, it is better than both alternatives uh, vowing and not fulfilling one's vow or not vowing at all to vow and fulfill one's vow. Because it says in Psalms, make vows and pay them to the Lord your God. One then receives reward. So a typical sermon will end with all the different possible opinions. Do you follow what I'm saying? Rabbi Meir says this. So I just shared that with you because that's in the rest of the body of the text. Uh, But he made a vow to give one-tenth to God, and he hasn't showed up yet. Yes, sir? Is this the same vows that we are... um uh, in the high holy days when we talk our vows are not our vows. Kol Nidre is where we say our vows are not our vows is somehow in a way that I cannot plumb to its like clear explanation is supposed to be a legal formula that releases us so that we can live another year. As it were. Do you know what I'm saying? Because we can't pay. Who knows what promises we made in the heat of that... So our vows are not our vows. Nidrana lo nidre, vasarana lo esare. That's what we're saying. So that we're somehow able to even face uh, the tribunal uh, on, on Yom Kippur. Does that make sense? Uh, in other words, because these vows are considered so important, my understanding of kol nidre is that the rabbis in the, late, in, in the very early Middle Ages came up with a formula uh, so that because they felt it was necessary. To free us. To free us. Jonathan. Right. And then we'll do our teshuva and start the year start, over. Start but over. we're so flawed that we, we need a legal fiction just to get us into the courtroom. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I've never thought about it quite in that way before. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I'm thinking, was there something about forced conversion in the Middle Ages that 
provoked the uh, the prayer that you were to be you were asking a quiet forgiveness yes. for the conversion right. no that one, you didn't believe in no one knows the exact origin of the Kol Nidrit prayer it is it is truly lost in the midst of 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 history uh, one reasonable surmise is that it was that anyone who had vowed in public that they would say be a Christian in those times because the alternative was losing their life would recite this uh, formula of that is one of the no one knows for sure but that story that explanation has been around for a long time but it doesn't not that long. <laughs> uh. In other words, there's nothing next to Kol Nidre in some ancient prayer book that says, here's why we're saying Kol Nidre. Do we know when it began? No, we just Do know we when it just... first turns up in the earliest prayer books that have survived. Uh -huh. And that's around the 9th or 10th century. But that would probably be before forced conversions that we're exactly. familiar with. Exactly. That's, well the, that's yeah. the problem with, Kol Nidre, oh, with that oh, explanation. Okay. We'll that because that explanation gets attached to the Inquisition all the time. That's what I've read. And so that's why I don't buy it. But I like it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I know about it. Whew. Okay. In, in uh, Robert Lowell's um, poem, Stopping by the woods on a snowy evening. Robert Frost. Robert Frost. He talks about promises to keep. And I, I'm just wondering how connected um, poets and writers were in the you know, 17, 1800s, so connected to the First Testament that they could understand that. Well, if we know our Bible really well, remember, they knew their Bible. Yeah. So who knows what was... Yeah. Floating around back there, yes. I'm sure Robert Frost knew his Bible too. Yeah, because that was classical schooling too. He also knew his classics, yeah, uh, in ways that I just don't. Yes? There's just something else I just noticed in reading it now, which I think you may have read, but there's more, which is that when, when he finally is heading toward Bethel, and he says, Jacob thereupon said to his household and all who were with him, that's just Rachel. It's, Get rid of the foreign gods in your midst. Mm -hmm. Where are you? It's line uh, it's 35 two. Yeah. Oh, so oh okay, Jacob. let's read both those lines. Yeah. God, God, we're on page 226, yeah. chapter 35. Let's start at the beginning, because this is right mm -hmm. after the Dina story. Mm -hmm. God now said to Jacob, get up, go up to Bethel, and settle there. Erect an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the presence of your brother Esau. Remember your vow? Jacob thereupon said to his household and all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods in your midst. Purify yourselves and change your clothing. Let us get moving and go up to Bethel, that I may build an altar there to God who responds to me in my time of distress, who has been with me on the road that I have traveled. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they were holding and the rings in their ears, and Jacob hid them, well, hid, buried, I don't know if hid is the, exactly the right word, under the oak near Shechem, another sacred oak. Yeah. Um, as they journeyed, the dread of God fell upon the cities around them, so they did not pursue Jacob's clan. So, so we were talking last week about Rachel's um, idol worshiping and Laban's family being, but this is, it's not just what Rachel stole. It's the whole crew. It's the whole crew is carrying idols. <laughs> I mean, I never noticed this. I never registered. I never really did either. Jacob, and Jacob knows it. And Jacob knows it. Exactly. So once again, he's not like 
that's why I, that's why my thoughts keep going to justice being defiled. That Dina, her name, that because of Jacob's lack of uprightness, justice gets defiled through him and through his family. That's, that's, where, they, that's where my mind keeps going, because Dina has no personality. So she becomes like a symbol. That's what I'm saying. Because unlike Leah and Rachel, unlike Rebecca, mm-hmm. Dina has no personality. She, she's not painted in any dimension other than as an object that gets talked about. it says go there to the god on in, in 35 oh uh l l ha let me just la l yes to the god yeah and then he then it says it again to the god who responds to me mm-hmm. so now it makes sense to me because if they were all carrying idols around with them, right then the god is the okay that's right so jacob has had two astonishing experiences among his in his journey. One is this dream of a ladder with not a god, but Hamakom, the, the, the creator, telling him. And he makes a conditional pledge to him, vow to him. Then he comes back, he wrestles with the angel. And uh, uh, who then said, and he still may not be able to hold on to this consciousness of, of the one. Yeah, I'm just thinking out loud. David, you're all meeting in the deck. Oh, okay. But this is Torah study, but you have another job. <laughs> is it okay if I say something else? Please do. Um, I'm going to be teaching a class at LLI in the spring called The Jewish Path of Mindfulness Practice. And it's not a meditation class. LLI is a lifelong learning institute at Bard. Right, it's not a meditation class, but it's on mindfulness practice in daily life. And so I've been thinking about these parshot in terms of mindfulness. And it struck me last week, I'm sort of writing this up as I'm going, but nobody else is seeing it. This is just my trying to figure it out. I was thinking last week is the way in which, if you think mindfulness, we have these moments where we kind of get it. And then the rest of the time we go about our normal lives, working and raising children and struggling with whatever's going on in our families, blah, 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 blah. And we lose track. We go to sleep again, sort of, of this sense of awe and wonder and thanks and all of that. And that's Jacob's story when he's with Laban. And then he comes back out of it in a moment of stress. And he once again has, you know, that, that's kind of a... And I think that's why the text says, and the sun shone upon him. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And then it occurred to me at the end of the Parsha, when we were talking so much about idols and Rachel, what, what it meant that she was carrying idols. Mm-hmm. And here it's the household gods. I mean, that, it's all, they're all carrying idols, the whole families. That when we talk about, in terms of mindfulness practice, idol worship, we're talking about having faith in money, power, all the stuff we can achieve, do, whatever, rather than faith in the divine presence. You know, we're simply mm-hmm. opening to that and letting go of our stuff. And I'm just start reading this now. Faith. He's so immersed in idol worship. I mean, I could put it that way. You know, that he's, he's caught up always in how is he going to stay ahead of everybody else, kind of, you know? 
Thank you. I want to. I just want to say, and then I'll get you that this, as a teaching moment. If we were collecting our interpretations, our little sermons, like that, that's what the midrash collections are from fifteen and eighteen hundred years ago and twelve hundred years ago. We're doing the same thing, and that's part of what I love about Torah study is the continuity of this mm, in, engaging in the text and drawing our moral compass from it. Not necessarily because it's certainly not telling you in this story, be like Jacob, because that's your moral compass. It's like we wrestle with it. What did you want to say? I was going to go back to um, that phenomenal course I took this summer about power politics in the book of Genesis. Yep. Because, and you talked about Trump here, um, that if you look at what are the elements that create power? And you look, be it the gods that were being collected, or the gods of belief, land, um, children, hierarchy, being a male, being the head of a clan, all the things at the time of Torah that collected power or the illusion of power. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at Dina, who is like the complete antithetical, powerless, right. completely powerless, right. powerless in every sense of the right. word, even being the daughter of land. I mean, right. completely, completely powerless. Right. Um, that, what, what, what are we learning about what we, what we hold on to, what we give up in trying to navigate some moral consciousness? in this world, then we can translate it into what the power elements are in today's world, which you just spoke to. That, um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Just, that's so interesting, because I'm thinking of what Harris was saying. Oh, so was I. Protected. Dina needed and, to and, be cherished. Right, yeah. right. And, and the whole Torah goes again and again to protect the one who is the least powerful, the widow, the orphan. Right, that's exactly what I said. So, the, so yeah. The, so that's Dina, thank you. So yeah, Dina needed to be protected and cherished by, especially by Jacob. Um, As the powerless one, that's great. Wow, thank you. Thank you. Okay, now I want to, yes, Bob? Uh, I'm trying to um, put my mind in a particular frame here. Uh, I'm trying to understand what it says about us repeating what us has been doing with centuries. Right. Why are we cherishing these stories? They're remarkable, uh, complex, ambiguous. Uh, it, it, uh, the mind boggles that there should be this as the Bible. <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to understand uh, what compels us to repeat year after year uh, working over these very difficult stories. Mm-hmm. Good um, question. They're very difficult. Tradition. Um, I mean, if I want something to praise or admire or imitate, I, it's very hard. But then uh, we would call it, it a fairy tale and not Torah, perhaps. Perhaps, but I'm trying to understand what it says about this culture mm-hmm. that oh. does this. The redactors uh, were that, amazing. That invented and clung to these 
that wrote and cared about these stories. It's well, is, is Greek mythology an a, a, analogous? No. Because it doesn't present the kind of complexity that is presented here. It doesn't? No, it doesn't. Oh. You are either good or you're evil. Uh, oh, I, I think not. I think, well, anyway, Anyway, point well taken, Bob. I don't, I don't have an answer for you. Other than, but Harris wants to share something, yes. I guess I, I've seen, or in my own life, sometimes I learn more from failures I've had. And I know people who are in uh, high corporations who run something into the ground, and then they get a better, more paying job. So you, so I think just the human thing about being able to learn from mistakes and failings, there's something to be said about that, and and that's why, it, I don't know, he, his story is so important because he screws up so much, and there's so much to learn from it, and uh, so it's because if it told a great story about his life yeah. and he did this great and this great and this great. How much are we going to learn from that? Well, it's fine. Uh, anyway, I think that is a, a very good answer. Thank you. Yeah. I was just going to say... But it doesn't have to be so satisfying. I just It's no, a really good answer, though. It's a kind of answer, but... Right. Well, uh, well I'll, t I'll, I'll hear what other people want to say. I just want to say that I don't think we're going to come up with an answer no, we can tie up with a ribbon. Uh, well, this, this um, psychologist, Howard Johnson, came up. I mean, this is, this is our mythology, just as strong as Greek mythology, just as strong as any mythology, just as strong as romantic mythology. And, 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 and then you have to get into what is mythology. Mythology is not a fairy tale. Mythology is something that resonates deep inside of us and that we, and it, 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 it's, it's our values, it's our, it's our um, ethics, it's our morals, so but it's read, also our, our guts. <coughs> it's our gut. So when we read something like this, even though it's totally implausible to me, I mean, I'm still hung up where this prince raped this young girl yeah. and then falls in love with her yeah. and speaks to her tenderly. Yeah. Wait, me, I, that happens all the time. All the time. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. 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 He's a prince. He's like, the, he's like, I want this one, Daddy. You know, it's like, like and I love her. No, I'm not kidding. Male behavior, I think, uh, can, this can happen a lot. You yes. can't equate love, violence, and, and, and total... Um, uh, trauma to love is two two ends of the spectrum. Depends. It depends whose perspective it is. Dina's perspective. Dina's perspective. Dina, right. Dina, Dina is wronged again. Right. Thank you. Yes. So she's traumatized. So from Dina's perspective, from the perspective of the violated one, maybe. What could be worse than rape? Absolutely. Nothing. I think he should get the death penalty. He does. He does. He does. I mean, I'm, I mean, as does everyone else. And his whole family. Him and his whole family. And his country. And all his babies. At least they were circumcised. What a story. Oh my God. What a story. So, why do we read this over and over again? Because there's something in that that defines our own behavior today. There's something in it that defines our own behavior. And this guy, Howard Johnson, he wrote The Psychology of Love. The Psychology of Romance, and it's just a book. Oh, it sounds like a great book. book. It's a book about this thick, and you read it, and you see how we 
know, it's not Robert Johnson? Robert Johnson. Oh, okay, I read his book. <laughs> Howard Johnson has ice cream. Howard Johnson is the hotel. Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> the psychology of romance. And, we, and we've all been into a romantic situation. And he wrote three little books. One was called He, one was called She, and we. And it's all about these using mythology. I love those books. He, They're on my shelf. And he uses mythology to define, you know, like, like remember your, your first romance when you, and, and, he, and, 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 and mythology they use is this insult, trist, and, and insult. Right. And today, if you read that book, you can see this story, just like this, this mythology, how it impacts us all today, how we how, you know, and how, how they get lost in the woods for seven years. And, and so, Jay, I'm going to cut you off just in the interest of time. That's a beautiful point. What, just a second, Esther, because uh, uh, Rob wanted to say something. Well, I was just going to say, I think, I think what, what attracts us. And I, and, oh, by the way, and then I, I, I'm going to have to stop, but I have a punchline uh, that I want to get to, too. So I'll. I just, what, what attracts us to these stories and why they have legs is because they're real. And if they were sort of these are not two-dimensional characters. These are not even three-dimensional characters. These are like four-dimensional characters. Right, right? this is so, hyper-real, yeah, yeah, it's mythic. And so, and so we're able to, they, 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 are, they are as relevant now as they were then because it is the human condition wrapped up in Jacob. And I think that's why, why, we're, why he, he takes on the name Israel. Jacob is the every, is the- Justice gets is, raped in this story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But J- right. Jacob is the, is the is the is the is is everything from soup to nuts, right? It's the right. dark to the light, and that that is the the name that I would rather be associated with that than some two dimensional sort of hero that really is more drawn from a comic book, mm. which is more difficult. Mm. Which is why Marvel was more interesting than DC. <laughs> <laughs> they had backstories. I know. But whose hands did I see? Me. Uh, one, two, three. Then let me. Then I'll talk for a few minutes. Then we'll have to stop. I, I, for me, for me, it's a book of instruction. It teaches me. It teaches me that there are characters as complex as Jacob, and it teaches me about the complexity of him. And I can relate that to people that I know. I can relate it to myself. That it's a human thing. That there can't be anybody more human in this book than Jacob. We all know Jacobs in our lives. That's, to me, is interesting. Is, Thank you. Well, Torah means teaching. That's what Torah means in English. So it's the book of teaching. And, uh, uh, and as we teach each other, it's apparently what keeps this thing going. That's right. It Torah. Isn't just what you read, it's what we're explaining. The way the rabbis explained it is that you have to read the spaces in between the letters. And together, that's right. That's right. It's an interactive. Yeah. It's quite remarkable. As opposed to reading the Bible. Studying Torah is, by definition, interactive and communal. And interpersonal. And interpersonal. And that is what, that's what makes it a holy activity in the Jewish. That is important to remember. If you just look at it as the book, why are we reading this? It, we're not just reading this. We're, we're doing this. Right. That's, that's the answer, Bob. Yeah. Because if you just read it, it's flat. It's flat. It's flat. It's on the page. Right. Helen, Harris, and then Gail. I was just wondering, uh, I don't know what you were going to, you said you were going to... Well, I have one more thing I wanted to share with you, yeah. From here? Yeah. Oh, oh, maybe that's what I was... Where are you going? Where I was going was looking a little bit ahead when God says, 
after all this, um, I, you are the one who I picked. You're going to carry this on. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. That Let's look at that. I'm, I'm partly, yeah. Like he had this plan that God knew all along, no matter what Jacob did. Another perspective of the Bible is that all of our, all of our, the circus of our lives, there's actually a plan that, it, that we can't grasp except get little intimations of sometimes. That is one of the teachings of the Torah. Absolutely. That we have a purpose. And we have to live as though we have that purpose, even if we can't figure it out most of the time. Thank you for mentioning that. Harris, and then Gail, and then I'll, I'll say something. I don't know if the story said it out. I don't think it said it outright. But a gentleman mentioned uh, there's not much worse that could happen to you than being raped. Oh, that's Jay, yeah. Jay, hi. Um, but I don't know if... Uh, Jacob, the dad, right? Mm-hmm. He, did, he didn't stick by his word. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen to me, so I can't say it. But I understand the action that they took because she got raped. But they didn't talk about the pain that he was subjected to by what happened to his daughter. So why couldn't that be, in part, a punishment? So, in other words, not only is he somehow in his, neg in his self-absorbedness responsible for not protecting Dina, but the pain he suffers is part of his we? punishment for his lack of attention. I, I think that's what you're saying, right? Yes. Thank you, thank you. Gail, what did you want to say? We don't know. There's no, there's no indication in the text. That's right. No that's right. Anything. I know, but I, I, I like, I like yeah. Harris's. It's, though. It's, it's a parent. I mean, it's a one father. would think so. Yes. No. I know, but I like, I like Harris's teaching because that's another important sermon. Is that we pay, we, we pay, right. we pay for if we're people of conscience, we pay for our inattention and the harm we cause. The only thing I want to say about studying Torah or reading it is, in a group like this and talking about it, and. The more we do it, you do it year after year, and you really, preferably, also even sit with it during the week. It, it's meant to be a book that one immerses oneself in. Right. And the more one does that, the more alive they all become. That's right. That's why the brachas doesn't say likro divrei Torah, which means to read the words of Torah, but la asok, which means to engage. Yeah. Esek is engagement. Make busy yeah, it's busy. Uh, not busy. ASEC is business in terms of give and take. Uh, uh, let me, sh I gotta share with because I have a board meeting I have to attend in a couple of minutes. Um, hold on. So, what I wanted to share with you, and then we'll have time, for, this won't take me long, but I wanna get this, and then we'll have time for a couple more comments, is that there's a really audacious midrash um, that when you read in chapter 35, it says, um, let me get to the verse I want. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, get rid of the foreign gods and said, um, oh, no, 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 it's in the next, it's in the, uh, let me find it because I, uh, it's important to me. Uh, but I guess it's in the next, the beginning of the next portion. Where does God say your name is going to be Israel now? 
Nine. Oh, okay. I was just told. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, oh, right. Verse 9 on 227. God appeared to Jacob again on his return from Paddan Aram. He's at Bethel now. And blessed him. And God said to him, Jacob is your name. But Jacob are you called no more, for Israel is your name. Thus God named him Israel. <coughs> Wait a minute. Didn't the angel that he was wrestling with name him Israel? Mm -hmm. right. So in the fairly unimaginative way I was taught this in, in academia, oh, well, these are two variant traditions of how he got his name. That may be true, but the editors wove them together with a purpose if you follow what I'm saying. And so the, the, the rabbis interpreting this saying, one says um, that when, when Jacob is wrestling with the angel, even at that moment, um, that's on page, um, uh, at the beginning of the Parsha. Oh, there we go. Um, on page 221, at the bottom of 220, then he said, the man, the mysterious man, let me go, dawn is breaking. Now I'm at the top of 221. Mm -hmm. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you, unless you bless me. The other said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. No more shall you be called Jacob but Israel, said the other, for you have struggled with God and with human beings and you have prevailed. And then God names him Israel again. So this one interpreter says, this is another sign of Jacob trying, forcing the issue and saying, tell me, tell me. And the angel doesn't want to tell him, but tells him nonetheless. And even at that moment, in some of the more negative midrashim about Jacob, it's because he's trying to have it his way. And so the angel, he gets the name out of the angel because otherwise if he doesn't let him go, the angel will perish in the daylight. And then when he gets to Bethel, God gives him the name again. And so the teaching about that, that Aviva Zornberg uh, was uh, offering, um, is that in one midrash, um, when he gets to, so then, when after, after he wrestles and he meets Esau and he names the place El Elohei Yisrael, just before Dina goes out, uh, if you, you, can, you can creatively misread that as he called himself El, God of Israel. And, um, uh, and the commentaries, The angel says, God will, Rashi says this, God will reveal himself to you at Bethel and he will change your name and there he will bless you and I will be there and confirm then for you. Uh, so the angel already told him to have faith that he would get to Bethel and God would give him his new name. But Jacob strove with the angel and prevailed and the other had to weep and implore him. And what did the angel implore him? At Bethel, God will meet us and there he will speak with us wait for me, let me go, until he speaks with us there. But Jacob did not agree, and against his will, the angel confirmed the blessings to him. 
So. Yes. So once again, he's trying to just sort of wrest the blessing out of the situation. Now, that's not a very generous reading of Jacob. At, on the other hand, we have a lot of evidence not to give him a generous reading. Uh, but my point was, I didn't know that Midrash existed uh, that uh, it described that even at that moment, Jacob was, was trying to wrest his blessing out of the situation. When is he going to learn? Well, at the moment with Esau, he gives the blessing back to Esau. That is his moment of grace. And he says, I have everything, I have everything. I don't need this blessing, please take it back. And he gives the blessing back. That's the moment of beauty. And he says to Esau, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. And he gives the blessing back. So there's that moment where he meets his brother and after Rachel dies, uh, towards the end of our Parsha, it says, as, as soon as Rachel dies, it says on page 229, Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, finally, where Abraham and Isaac had lived. And the years of Isaac's life came to 180. Isaac then breathed his last and died. He was gathered to his people, old and full of years, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So at least he gets there before his father dies. But it took him a long time. But the line that gets me is after it is that same paragraph where he give, tells him his name is Israel. And after everything is done, then verse 12 says, and the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you mm -hmm. and your descendants. It's like, it didn't matter. You know, God had this plan that he, this was the line. And right. that Jacob is part of that line that he's going to that's do. Right. So that's why he was pushing him in the right direction. <laughs> that's right. Like, you're right. You're right. Because uh, there's a sense that there is a purpose to our lives. And we will fight it and run away from it. And uh, But it's going to continue to work through us. Oh, boy. What did you want to say, Shelley? Well, I think that was where I was going with that we all see ourselves in Jacob because we're always going to the worst of ourselves and then we kind of pick ourselves up and try to get to the best of ourselves. And it wasn't until, until really the very end where Jacob finally gave the best of himself, where God came down and said, okay, I'm changing your name to Israel and it's all gonna be good from here. But, but there's this constant wrestling, like the God wrestler of the best and worst in oneself. In oneself. Who is Jacob wrestling with? And that is another way to address the question. What inside himself? And you wanted to say something too. No, it's just, I was just getting angrier sitting in here. <laughs> because, you know, even going after the, the guy who raped Dina, you know, it, it's, it looks as if like it was all about them, the guys. Right. Not anything about ah, Dina. Right, right. That's right. And, and Jacob that's has right. no... You know, and all he does here is, you made trouble for me mm. by making the odious to the land's inhabitants. That's right. I mean... What about my daughter? You know, there was right. nothing said. You know, these guys went off to kill Dina's and, and all the people there. And I think the story should happened. make you mad. And that's why, again, I see since... But I don't, what I wanted to say is, I don't see this as emblematic of every story in the Torah. Because in other stories that we've been reading, 
the female characters have dynamic and empowered roles, even in the context of a patriarchal clan. And, and yet here, the, precious, the, the, the preciousness of the feminine, something is being completely, that's why, I, again, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning about Dina feeling symbolic to me, yeah. Um, something that requires nurturing and protection and care gets completely ignored. Well, the rabbis turned that around also in, in tremendous ways with a lot of the midrashim about how Dina was dressed and how she should have been dressed more modestly. In, in, right. In now, so now that, by the way, uh, uh, Pauline probably knows this already. When you read the biblical stories on their own terms without the lens of um, uh, uh, Hellenistic um, uh, um, mores that think of women as temptresses, in the Bible, women are not temptresses. When you read Delilah, she's not a temptress, and yet that's, you have to read those Samson stories. She's a, a, playing a game of wits, but she's not a temptress. When you read about Jezebel, there's nothing temptress about it. She's a queen who, you know, and when you read about Eve, there's nothing about her that's a temptress. Mm -hmm. All of that comes into play a thousand years later mm -hmm. in the Greco-Roman world. Yes. Um, and so they overlay all of this temptress stuff mm -hmm. right. onto these stories, and then that's how we've inherited them through that lens. But that's why I want to go back and look at them themselves. Right. Because that's not necessarily, we don't have to read them that way. But it's really important then that when we read a Midrash, when we read an interpretation of people that sat around just the way we are, we know what the, what that environment was. What the social, social, cultural, yeah. Mm -hmm. And socially, because that's, that's how they flow through time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't remember the character, but there was another night family asked the woman that's want, Rebecca right do you want to yes. ask her mm -hmm. what gave her the option her choice but in here they didn't say do you want us to nothing do you want revenge on these people that's why do you want to love be with this man she had no say that's right that's why you need to take this story as itself and not generalize it to the entire other story each story has its it's gonna have its own thrust and its own, its own purpose in the way it depicts the characters. So I'll close with this, which is, you made me think of, uh, you know, my daughter Nomi is a figure skater, so we get the National Figure Skating Association magazine every month. And Scott Hamilton, who's this wonderful guy who won the gold medal back in, the, in 1980 and has survived cancer three times now, and it's just like, he's, he's great, has started this campaign um, called Get Up for, in figure skating. But he wants it to extend, and so there was a lot of coverage in the magazine about it. Um, get up. It's not how many times you fall when you're skating. <laughs> it's that you keep getting up. And it's so prosaic, but it's like really great. You know, the campaign is called Get Up. Yeah. Can you mention the Pathways to Prayer class that's going to start the 10th quickly? 10th of January on Tuesday, e on Tuesday evenings. Tuesday evening. Pathways into Jewish Prayer a series of work, experiential and sort of hands-on workshops that we did last winter that were so successful that 
Pauline has organized a new set of themes for this winter. We just organized it today. I also want to say that we're going to meet next week, <coughs> the 22nd, but the 29th we're not going to meet between Christmas and New Year's. Okay, so keep that in mind. But we'll meet next week. You mean during Hanukkah? During Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> Latkes. Latkes for all. Thank you. Yeah. Do we have a basket?